0: As, as we continue through the book of Acts, I'll ask that you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And Acts chapter 5, we'll pick up where we left off. And uh, as we look at the, the history, the early history of the first church after that Pentecost experience, you know, there's a trend that, that quite honestly disturbs me. As I listen to some of the news stories and some of the developments out of our nation's capital, it bothers me when I see indications that our president and maybe some members of Congress and even our Supreme Court, when they begin to tamper with the Constitution of the United States, that bothers me. Uh, Knowing that this great historical document that I really believe that God, uh, you know, worked in the hearts of our forefathers, founding fathers, and developing that, which is a blueprint, if you will, for the organization and the functioning of our nation as a democracy. Under God. Under God. And and when I see them beginning, beginning to deviate from constitutional stipulations and and requirements and regulations, it bothers me because the nation that we will end up being won't be the nation that our founding fathers intended for us to be. And I think it warrants the careful, prayerful attention of American citizens uh, as things transpire in Washington. Now, why do I say that? I'm not going to get into politics. I, I want to bring a parallel because... As I look at the Bible, and and particularly as we look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, I believe God gives us here, through the the very meticulous, detailed writings of the gospel writer Luke, uh, He gives us a blueprint of the church. He gives us a wonderful, accurate, historical record of the origin of the church, the nature of the church, the organization of the church, the functioning of the church. Oh, listen, dear brothers and sisters, this is not just another walk through another book of the Bible, though it is in some sense. We, we're going back and we're looking at the early church under a microscope, if you will. And, and as I preach expositorily through the, the book of Acts, I, I hope to, to, to glean out of it those truths that we as a 21st century body of believers, might be able to hold over our organization, our practice, our functioning as a body of Christ. I promise you, I promise you, when the church begins to deviate in any way from the prescription of God's Word as to who we are, why we're here, how we're organized, how we are to function, when you do that, then you're like a nation that begins to wander from its constitution. If you want to know how church Is and should be, just go back to the Word. And so it refreshes my heart and it really invigorates me as a Christian as I go back and I read these very accurate, divinely inspired words that are indeed the blueprint for the church. And so we find ourselves in chapter 5 and certainly an unusual occurrence last time as we talked about that first act of divine discipline. Upon the body of Christ. We know that God has purified his church. By pouring out his Holy Spirit. God has empowered his church. Through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We see God grow in the church. By the thousands. We see the, the disciples. Uh, once timid. And and, and and who had fled. Weak need from the Lord. Now empowered and bold. And preaching. Oh, and, and we see the church. Functioning that way. Now last week. Or last sermon I preached Sunday before, in chapter 5, we discovered how Satan's tactic was changing. Now, I grant you, as pleased as the Father is with the church when it's doing what it's supposed to do and being what it's supposed to be and functioning the way it's supposed to function, as pleased as God is, I promise you, you can convert that over to displeasure on behalf of the devil. The devil hates anything that makes God happy, I promise you. And when the church is doing well, the devil won't rest. So we saw his tactic change last time in the beginning of chapter 5 because he realized he wasn't getting anywhere by trying to attack the church from without. So his tactic was, well, I'll attack the church from within. And we saw where indeed Satan began to manipulate a man and his wife by the name of Ananias and Sapphira and tempted them to, to do something they really didn't have to do. Because as all the people were, or many of the people were selling their possessions and bringing the proceeds and giving freely and gladly for the support of the poor and the needy and the work of the church, they decided they wanted to get in on some of the action and get in on some of the praise. So they sold some property, but the problem was they deceitfully, hypocritically held back a portion of the proceeds, thinking, as so often people do, nobody will know just the two of us it's just between us right wrong God always knows and God did know and they committed a very tragic mistake number one they lied to the apostles but more tragically infinitely more tragically they lied to God and God responded he responded in a way that probably would cause us, our hair to stand up on the back of our necks or whatever, because God struck them dead. Right on the heels of their lives, God killed them right there in church. And you say, that's pretty drastic. Let me tell you something. God is going to great lengths to give his church a good start, a great start. He's, he's given them the Pentecost experience. He's poured out his Holy Spirit. He's raised up the apostles. He's brought the favor of the people. Listen, God is presenting the, the church in a in a way that the church probably has never been presented and never will be, because there'll never be another Pentecost. And God doesn't take lightly when someone begins to tamper with that which is most precious to him his bride the church. And so there we find God intervening in a great and a drastic act of divine discipline. And I really believe that God is making a statement right there. God is determined to keep he he was determined to get his his church off to a, a good start. But let me tell you something. He's also determined to keep his church on track. God hasn't become disinterested with the church today. God's No less concern about the integrity of the church today just because we live in the 21st century. Brothers and sisters, might I remind you that God never changes. He's holy. He's always been holy. His word never changes because He doesn't change. And what was true 2,000 years ago in the organization and the implementation of the church, I promise you, it's still true today. Now, I'm not going to say that when one of you may opt to tell a lie in church that God's going to kill you. I certainly hope that won't be the experience. But I would encourage you to be truthful with the Lord. I would encourage you, for your own benefit, spiritually as well as physically, that you be honest with God and practice integrity as a believer and as a church body. But I want you to see something as we move into the message this morning. We'll be looking at uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, 12. God purges and he promotes this church. And that's what we see going on there. You see, the Spirit's swift discipline generates respect. It did. If you go back in chapter 5, then read with me in verse 11, it says, So great fear came upon all the church and, and upon all who heard these things. What things? Ananias and Sapphira were killed in church today by God. That'll get people's attention but I thought it was interesting if you go back in chapter 5 and verse 5 after Ananias told his lie and he was struck dead it says then Ananias hearing these words fell down and breathed his last so great fear came upon all those who heard these things did you see that can you believe that Paul and Ananias didn't know what hit him oh man Uh, 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 yeah, I gave everything, yeah, yeah, I I made sure, I don't have anything left back, oh no, not me. But then, if you notice, after Sapphira came in, hours later, and Peter confronted her with the same question. Is Is this all that you got from your proceeds? And she told the exact same lie, and as you recall, God struck her dead by His Holy Spirit. But notice verse 11 is even a little more intensified. Same words, but then expanded upon a little bit. Because not only is a great fear or reverence came upon all the church. Oh, you better believe there was a great reverence within the church. But then also it says, and upon all who heard these things. Because you see, the purity of his church is a priority with God. Please don't make the mistake of thinking I'm just talking about some ancient historical event that has no relevance to you and me today. Listen, you and I are still a part of the same church. Removed by time, removed by culture, but make no mistake, the same blood that washed the sins of those early believers there in Jerusalem is the same blood that you and I celebrated washed our sins. The same Savior is the head of the church today as he was then. And he desires the purity of his people today as much as he did then. And the Lord has not relaxed his standards, brothers and sisters, for Christians or for the church. Oh, I know, we get all kinds of rationale, all kinds of excuses. Oh, preacher, you can't be so old-fashioned. You can't be such a funny duck. Times have changed. People are different. Amen to that. Times have changed. People are different today. And there are lots of temptations that maybe we encounter that those first century Christians couldn't even begin to imagine. But let me tell you something. God hasn't relaxed His standards. He expects as much of you and me today as he did those early believers making up their early church back then. Listen to the Apostle Peter, who was a main player in all of this activity, if you will, in 1 Peter. Peter's writing here in his first epistle. He's writing to early first century believers, but he's writing to you and me too. So, so tune your ears in. In verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, For the time has come for judgment to begin, look now, focus your attention, at the house of God. And it begins with us first. Did you hear what he said? Before we get on our high stool and we look down our nose and we begin to point at the pagan, sinful, immoral culture around us and talk about how God ought to bring down fire from heaven and burn up them pagans. Listen, you need to realize that God has said in his word his judgment is going to start in the house. He's going to clean house before he begins to clean house. Uh, the culture and so understand that god expects you and i to live lives before the world around us without excuse without rationale we ought to live lives that are holy why because the god that we represent the christ that we serve and we 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 worship he is holy he is holy did not the lord say all the way back in the old testament i am holy therefore you be holy Does the scripture not tell us, did the apostle Paul not say that as Christians? We are ambassadors of Christ. You understand that an ambassador represents that nation from which they are sent? our ambassadors wherever they are in the world how they behave, how they talk, how they conduct themselves around those foreigners however they represent us they are representing the United States of America, they're not over there just to live their own thing, do their own thing and live a life like they want to and and have standards that they want to, no they are representing this nation as ambassadors of Christ wherever you go, whether it be at school whether it be at work, whether it be at home whether it be in your neighborhood wherever you go, the minute that someone finds out that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ then you represent him now stop and think about it the words you say the jokes you tell the things you watch or read you know your conduct your relationships all of that all of that first and foremost you and I are Christians you say oh now wait a minute wait a minute (laughs) I'm my own person dude I mean, you know, I got my own life. I'll I'll set my own standards. I'll set my... Oh, no, you're not. Not as a Christian. Now, you may be as a lost person. But let me tell you something. The Bible says you and I were bought with a price. That's what Paul says. He says, what? Don't you know that your bodies are a a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which is from God? He says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. We celebrated that price right here as we partook of the cup. It says that Jesus paid it all. He redeemed you and I. Our first allegiance is not to ourselves. Please don't fall back. That's the world's thinking. The world says, oh, don't worry about everybody else. Put yourself first before your family, before your school, before your job, before the country. Oh, make sure yourself is satisfied. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. That's not the way it is in the church. But you know, it's interesting as we see the, the Spirit of God swiftly disciplining the church. And God, in, he, he instructed the church to discipline itself. Not to be a killjoy. God's not just out to make life miserable for His people. No. God understands the importance for us to be able to receive the fullness of His power and His presence and His blessings as an individual Christian and as a body of believers. We must have discipline. We must be able to hold one another accountable under the teachings of the Word of God so that when one of us departs from the teachings of the Word of God and gets out of God's will in love, and I emphasize that, in love we go to one another. Just as Jesus described in Matthew 18, you go to that sinning brother or sister in person, privately, and you go to them in love and you point out their sin. And the point of doing that is so that Jesus says you may restore that brother, not to hurt them, not to embarrass them, not to condemn them. And then if necessary, if they don't listen to you, then you go get a couple of witnesses and come back. And you go again, and you try to show them again their, their sin. And if they hear you, they hear you and they repent, then you've won a brother or sister back. It's all about restoration. It's all about reconciliation with God and with one another. And of course then if they don't listen you bring it before the church and then if there's no repentance then they are removed from the church. But God gives us discipline to maintain the integrity and to maintain the purity that he intended for the church to be. And as a result of that we began to see. You would think that when the church was exercising this kind of discipline or God was exercising this kind of discipline in the church. Something as drastic as Ananias and Sapphira you'd think people would scatter like chickens. I don't want anything to do with that. Well, let's look at verse twelve, and throughout the and, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, which is a a, a, a porch uh, edifice of the um, temple complex, and and you know, kind of like well, in the old day when churches used to have big old front porches. I remember, you know, we would all dismissed from the worship service. And I remember, that the, those of you that were with us when we organized Cornerstone down at the, the fish camp. That's the old restaurant building we converted it into a church building when we first organized Cornerstone. But we had a, a big, long front porch. It was covered, had some benches on it. Yeah, and, and as a pastor, I almost had to get a stick to drive people off the porch to get them to go home. I mean, it was uh, people poured out of the church and they just hung around and they talked and they laughed and they fellowship. That's a good thing. And I just, I just see Peter and the apostles gathering with all the Christians and other people. And there Peter would preach and the other apostles would preach. That was one of their favorite hangout spots. But not only were they preaching, but look what it says. At the hands of the apostles, and I might add by the power of the Spirit of God, they were working many signs and wonders. And look at verse 13. Yet none of the rest dared to join them, or dared join them but the people esteemed them highly the The general populace was looking at this church, and they saw, they heard what had happened. These two church members, and they were members of the church, had the audacity to lie to the Spirit of God, and they were struck dead. The word gets out amongst the culture. These people are serious. This is no social club. This is not just a howdy doody time. These people are serious about upholding the standards given to them by God. And so people begin to stop and think. "I I better make sure I'm ready before I join with this body. I better make sure. It's not just something that you loosely attach yourself to. These people are serious about following Jesus Christ and living according to his holy standards. You know, I'm afraid that when the church today fails to practice discipline, consequently we lose divine power. We lose blessings. We lose our way. You see, God is holy and he is righteous. And I ask you, why in the world would a holy and righteous God ever want to bless a Christian who is knowingly harboring sin in their lives and do not repent of it? Why? Psalm 66, 18 says he won't even hear your prayer. you living in sin? My suggestion is the only prayer you need to pray is a prayer of repentance and asking God to forgive you because everything else he's not going to listen to. Why should he? Why should he? And the same principle applies to the church. Why in the world would God want to attach His blessings to and anoint His powerful presence to a church that knowingly tolerates the presence of unrepented sin? Do you understand what a shameful thing that is for the body that calls itself the body of Christ, the people of God, to knowingly tolerate unconfessed, unrepented sin. Well, folks, let me tell you something. It, it was a big deal to God then. It's a big deal to God now. And so many of the churches around have fallen into this, this pressure of the culture to appeal to people, to not offend anybody, to be politically correct, to, to, to practice a form of easy, easy believism. Such that you got people coming and all they got to do is walk an aisle, sign a card. Doesn't matter how your lifestyle is, doesn't matter what you really believe. Yeah, hey, they just, we want you in here. We want you in here. And unfortunately, there's too many of those so they can get their money, so they can pad their offering plates. But you know, it's a terrible thing when the church reduces itself to that lower standard. Because what happens is you've got churches who are putting people's names on their church roll. Who are not even believers in Jesus Christ. Dr. Billy Graham said he believes at least at least 50% of the people sitting in church pews today will die and go to hell. And a lot of the thought belongs to the leaders of the church. Because we're not discerning sin. And we're not teaching and preaching the word of God to those who come to be a part of the church. And so early on you saw... That God was working mightily there in the church. After he purged the church, after he purified the church, he empowered the church. Look in verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. I like that. They weren't added to the church. It's not like they were counting heads and saying, oh, we got, look how many. No, they were added to the Lord. The church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. And they were added to the Lord. And so that, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches then at least the shadow of peter passing by might fall on some of them now let me just point out here the scripture doesn't say doesn't say that anybody that fell under the shadow of peter so don't y'all be laying out there on the floor for the pastors to walk by and our shadow goes by it doesn't say that they were healed it just said that they had such a respect and reverence for these leaders They saw such awesome power demonstrated in these great apostles. I read one commentary and he said, The early church was not a miracle working church. The early church simply had apostles who were working miracles by the power of God. They were exercising sign gifts that God had given them. But but still, people had deep reverence for the church. People had deep respect for the church. They saw the church as being authentic. They saw the church as possessing real power. So even though God had purged the church and purified the church, he was still adding to the church. In verse 16, And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented and unclean, and they were all healed. This this distinguishes what the apostles were doing back then. You'll notice it says as it did about Christ. They were everybody he, that came to him that he so desired, he healed him. Jesus was emptying the hospitals in Galilee and other parts of the nation. The apostles were emptying the, the, the hospitals, no offense nurses, we need y'all and other medical personnel because it ain't going to happen today, okay? It's part of my English, <laughs> but it's not. that's what distinguishes these true apostles who were simply practicing the power of the, the sign gifts that God gave. They healed everybody. everybody, rich. Poor. Didn't matter what your condition was. They were emptying the hospitals. Their clinics were shutting down. They didn't need them. Not at that time right there. Man, if we could just stop there. But the record goes on. Because as we move further, we see that just as God purged and purified His church, we also see that God protects the bold witness of His church. Look with me in verse 17, then the high priest, oh, here they come. The high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin was made up the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it was the historians tell us that the the Sadducees kind of had the grip on the high priest position. So the Sadducees were manipulating the high priest, if you will, or he was a member of the Sadducees. Anything that offended the, high, the Sadducees, you better believe it would offend the high priest. And here are these disciples of Jesus Christ preaching that Jesus was not only crucified and buried, but he was raised on the third day. He was resurrected. They wouldn't have anything to do with that. Because they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in supernatural powers. and They didn't believe in life after death and a lot of things. And So anyway, they come in and they laid their hands, verse 18, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And I think it's important because immediately... You find the apostles, things are going great, the power of God is working, and you find resistance. And that's the way it is today. When God's people are determined to be faithful to His Word, and God's people determined to be who God has called them to be, listen, you better believe there's not going to be an easy ride for you. Not for you individually as a Christian, not for you as a Christian family, and certainly not for the body of Christ. You better, we'd better anticipate there will be stiff resistance. Satan will not sit back and watch the church do its thing without conjuring up some kind of resistance. But Jesus had already warned his disciples about that. And even in the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he said, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for my sake. He said, happy are you, blessed are you. And so this didn't catch them off guard. And when you and I practice biblical principles in our lives, whether we do that at home or do that at work or at school or out in the community, you can count on there will be resistance. And it's amazing. Even in the church culture. Even in other so-called evangelical churches. You let a church dare to step out and say, so we're not really interested in following the TV models. <laughs> we're not really interested in being a seeker-friendly church that, that kind of cuddles everybody and just anybody can come in and we just want everybody to be happy, not have any real rigid doctrine or whatever. You just let a church determine that it wants to pattern itself after the teachings of the Word of God and practice, as the Word describes how Christianity ought to be practiced, and you watch and see, even other churches will begin to stand back and say, oh, you know, I, I believe my brothers over there getting legalistic. Getting legalistic, you know? <laughs> no, 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 you're not. Legalistic is when you start making up the rules. Legalism is when you take and go beyond the Word of God and try to in, 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 in inflict your own parameters and restrictions based upon your own subjective opinion listen enforcing the word of god is not legalism it's christianity and so this is something that the church has to deal with the the church had to deal with back then but the amazing thing as we look further there we saw in, in verse 19 an angel of the lord opened the prison doors and brought them out what you see is the lord not only empowers his people but he delivers his servants for service not safety do you notice that the angel came to the prison where and by the way before it was Peter and John the other apostles were okay this time they got them all rounding up all the apostles can you imagine all those apostles down in that jail cell probably singing praises and having you know and then walks an angel says come on boys but you I want you to see something it's very important he doesn't say, "No, listen, I'm going to get you out of here. we got some AK-47s planted over there, some landmines here, and we've got a tank over there. We're going to spring you. And we want you to head for the hills and don't look back and just keep on running. No, <laughs> that's, not, that's not God's plan. Because look at verse 20. The angel said, <laughs> said to them after he let them out, he said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Go back where you were. Go back to preaching. Get back on the job. Listen, God will deliver us when we trust Him and when we look to Him, just like He did with Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and other servants. Listen, when we put our eyes upon the Lord and we trust in Him, He will deliver us, but He doesn't deliver us to hightail it to safety. He delivers us so that we can get back to the business of serving God And bringing glory to Him. And that's exactly, look at verse 21. And when they heard that, what do they do? Whoa, whoa, angel. (laughs) That's easy for you to say. You're supernatural. They can't touch you. They'll kill us. No. Look at verse 21. And when they, the apostles, heard that, they entered the temple. When? Did they wait? Sleep in? Wait till noon? We know we're going to get arrested. We know we're going to be in trouble. Let's just wait till the end of the day. No, early in the morning. Does that tell you something about the faith of those early disciples, those early apostles? God said, do it. And they said, let's do it now. And as soon as the rooster crowed, and that's my farm rendition there, early in the morning, they talked. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Oh, boy, you're talking about a surprise. They're thinking about, boy, we're going to get those apostles today. (laughs) <laughs> got them all pinned down there like scared rabbits in jail. <laughs> Let's have a cup of coffee and then we're going to bring them in here. and we're going to scorch them. Can you imagine the the, 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 the the shock that went through them? It says in verse 22, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside. I guess they felt kind of dumb, didn't they? Who's hey, guarding in there, boy? Oh, we got the apostles. Oh, yeah? Yeah, let me, where are they? oh, uh, oh. Uh. <laughs> prison was locked. The guards were in place. The only problem was God took His people out. So this is the report that goes back to the council, the Sanhedrin. Continuing in verse 23. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Verse 24. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Like, Duh. <laughs> What's going on here? Isn't it, isn't it a shame that people can be so spiritually blind that not one of them stopped and said, wait a minute, God's up to something. Wait a minute, we locked those guys up and the prison's still locked. They escaped. God's up to something. But you see, when you're so steeped in yourself and you're caught up in sin, you're blinded from the things of God. Verse 25, then one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple. And teaching the people. Man, you're talking about rubbing salt in a wound. Oh my goodness. Not only were they out of jail, but they were back there doing the very thing they'd been arrested for. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Now I want you to understand something too. It says when they brought the disciples, the apostles. They didn't drag them in there. They didn't throw chains on them. Why? Because they were afraid. They were so popular with the people. The apostles and the church were so popular. They had such respect. These police officers and the high priests, they were afraid they'd get stoned if they went out there and dragged them in. The the apostles freely went. And there they are before the Sanhedrin. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, that means all the apostles, brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name, or this name? They won't even mention the name of Jesus. So that's count. That's charge number one. And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Charge number two. And then the biggie. And intend to bring this man's blood on us, as if we had something to do with Jesus being crucified? charge number three but I want you to notice in verse 25 29 because God supplies not only deliverance but God gives his people boldness through his word and by his spirit look at verse 29 then Peter and the other apostles answered now I think it's interesting because typically Peter's speaking right he's usually the spokesman but on this occasion all the apostles so they, they just couldn't wait Andrew jumped in. James jumped in. Bartholomew jumped in. They, they all just you know spattering with Peter. He, they all said in unison, "We ought to obey God rather than men." Let's get this straight. We have to obey God rather than men. Very similar to what we saw back in chapter four, verse nineteen, as Peter and John responded to the charges. In verse thirty, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Now. Good gracious, if you're trying to to throw yourself at the mercy of the court and you're trying to get on the judge's good side, you don't look him square in the eye and call him a murderer. But something had happened. This is the same Peter and the other disciples that when Jesus was arrested, they ran like scared rabbits. Peter denied him three times. Something has happened. I'll tell you what's happened. The Spirit of God has come down from heaven and has settled upon them and filled them. You say, oh, that would be so great if we could have that today. We can have that today. We must have that today. In the face of adversity, in the face of opposition, it's no time for people to cow down and to cave in. It's a time for the people to look to heaven and call upon the Lord and say, oh, Lord, as you embolden Peter and James and John and those other apostles, would you give us courage today? To tell it like it is to be able to say to a wicked and sinful world around us or even those who practice sin in the midst of the church to say adultery is adultery fornication is fornication abortion is murder gay rights or gay marriages is an abomination to God listen it will infuriate them it will cause the blood to curdle but the truth is the truth And that's what the apostles were determined to do. They were going to tell the truth. Well, they go on in verse 31. Him, and you see in these two verses, verse 31, 32, you see almost a depiction of the Trinity, Holy Trinity, against the Sanhedrin. That doesn't scare you. I don't know what will. Just look at the way that they responded. Him, Jesus, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. This same Jesus that you all tried in a kangaroo court. You crucified and buried him. God has raised him up. Not only has God given him life again, but God has raised him up. He has given him the title of prince. He has given him the title of savior. Oh my goodness. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In other words, he's the very medium by which God will save Israel. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Now, the same one that you murdered, the same one that you thought you had put out of existence, God has raised up, he has anointed him. And then in verse 32, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit. You see the Father, you see the Son, and you see the Holy Spirit. The apostles are basically saying to the Sanhedrin, whether you realize it or not, you have positioned yourself in opposition to the very three-in-one God. You have positioned yourself against God the Father. You have positioned yourself against God the Son. You have positioned yourself even against the very Spirit of God whom we have with- witnessed ourselves. Wow. Now, I'm sure they Sanhedrin probably said after that, Oh, my goodness, we would have made it. We've messed up now. We're so sorry. <laughs> you know I'm setting you up a little sarcasm there, right? Verse 33. When they, the Sanhedrin, heard this, they were furious. And some translations say they were cut to the quick. I mean, it's like a sword going down to the, the very nerve. Brother Randy Vaughn talked about that root canal you hit. God bless you, brother. That dentist going down to the very nerve. Oh, whoo! Makes me just have jitters thinking about that. Lord have mercy. But anyway, what the apostles were saying, it cut them. Why did it cut them? Why did it cut them so deep? Because it was nothing but the Word of God. Does not the Bible tell us in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? separating down to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and it is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I'll tell you why the, wor- the world doesn't want Bible preaching today. They don't want Christians talking about the Bible, because the Bible cuts. It cuts and it hurts. And here you go. Man, they were, they were in sin. What do they do? They're, Let's kill them! They're like these science fiction where you see these you know people, the veins are sticking out, the eyeballs bulging, the veins. Kill them! I get a little dramatic. <laughs> so so what, what happens? Then we see God using the wise counsel of a respected leader. to once again, deliver his servants. In verse 33, there's Gamaliel. You say, who's Gamaliel? He was the teacher of Paul. Who's Paul? You know who your apostle Paul is. Gamaliel was a famous Pharisee. He was a grandson of a, yet a very, very famous Pharisee rabbi by the name of Hilliel. So he was a rabbi's grandson, but yet he was highly respected. Now, this is important because Ga- Gamaliel, who taught Saul of Tarsus, who was himself a Pharisee of Pharisees before Jesus knocked him off the horse and blinded him and called him into ministry. But the fact is, Gamaliel is a highly respected man. He's, I believe he was respected on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. I mean, Pharisees and Sadducees because he's got that he's got that clout everybody it says that in verse 33 it talked about how you know they, they wanted to kill him then in verse 34 then one of the council stood up a pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the peoples and he commanded the, they put the apostles outside for a little bit so there he had authority he could stand up everybody said oosh Gamaliel's talking and he said put him outside and they did they didn't challenge him and then he went on to say men of Israel take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men for some time ago Judas rose up claiming to be somebody a number of men about 400 joined him he was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing after this verse 37 Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people who after uh, many people after him he also perished and all who obeyed him were dispersed. So Gamaliel is just giving a little bit of a historical record here. So don't forget, don't forget, these zealots, they come and go. Don't get all worked up. Don't get all worked up. Judas, he's gone. His followers, they're nothing. Judas of Galilee, he's dead, gone. His, his gathering, they're gone. So he's trying to make a point. Now look at verse 38. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. You cannot overthrow it. Lest you even be found to fight against God. Oh, I don't know what Gamaliel's ultimate disposition was. I I don't know if he became a believer. but, But you know what I believe? He saw those men. He watched them. He knew their background. He saw something in him that he didn't see in the best of the Sanhedrin. He saw a faith that was so rock solid. He saw a determination that it was unrivaled by anything he had seen. He, I believe, in his spirit was wise enough to say, wait just a minute. We better back off. Because these men are talking like they know what they're saying. And they're willing to die for it. In verse 40. And they agreed with him. The Sanhedrin agreed. But I made a little note there. Not really. I mean, not totally. Because he was saying, let him go. Just get him out of here. Let him go. Let him go do their thing. If it's of, if it's of them, and it'll disperse and all that. But it says, and they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beaten them. I said, wait a minute. Sometimes I think our, our justice system stinks. But, you know, if a man just denounced you innocent, and said, go ahead, you know, let them go. They said, okay, but, we've got to beat them first. I mean, after all, we're the Sanhedrin. We've got to have at least one good beating a day. And, well, beating now wasn't just taking out a whip. and beat you with a rod. Almost 40 times, which was the limit. They beat these guys. Innocent. They didn't have the right to ask for a lawyer. And then they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Well, I'm sure if you haven't read further, you're probably thinking, Phew. those guys are probably thinking, the, the, the apostles are probably thinking, well, we did just get off. Oh, so what we got beat? We're alive. Let's get out of here. <laughs> we're not going to deal with these guys ever again. They're killers. Verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Wow. You know, it was something I learned early on. I got more whippings than any of my brothers and sisters collectively. I know that's a very great shock to all of y'all. But I just had a hard time, it was the black sheep of the family, and just took a while for the Lord to bring me around. But, but, but you know, I learned very early on that when you got a whipping, you didn't laugh. Oh, man. You, I, even if it didn't hurt so bad, you say, oh, oh, I'm dying. My liver is quivering. I'm dying. You know, you, you try to drum up some sympathy. Oh, I'm bleeding. My brains are shaking out. You know, you don't laugh. It's going get worse. It says, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. I'm sure that as they went out through the hallways of the council chambers and they're saying, Hallelujah. Uh, praise God, praise the Lord we got beat today for the name of Christ we sucked men (laughs) don't touch me there James (laughs) I'm hurting brother praise God What were they crazy? were they deranged? (laughs) they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name you know And then in verse forty-two, and daily in the temple, in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. You know, I I want to close by just reading an excerpt out of Peter's his first epistle, because he's writing to early first-century Christians, and and he's writing to you and me because as we are determined to be faithful to God and serve Him with integrity, we will suffer. Make no mistake about it. But then, when you suffer, listen to what Peter said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. When you suffer... When your family ostracizes you or your friends turn their back on you or you lose your job or whatever the the suffering that you may endure because of your faith, determination to stand on the Word of God. Oh, listen, count it a joy. The Apostle Paul says, oh, I count it a joy that I can share in the very suffering of the Savior who died for me. You will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ if you are a sincere, genuine believer and follower of Christ. You will stand before Him one day and you will see the nail prints in His hand. If you not to, He'll show you His feet with the holes in them and the side where He's pierced with a spear. Listen, you will stand in the very presence of the One who suffered unimaginably, physically and spiritually for you and me. Do you want to stand before Him and say, Oh Lord, I just played it easy. I just went under the radar. I didn't let anybody really know I was a Christian. I compromised here and there. You know, really Lord, I I, was just like anybody else. I didn't really suffer. I didn't have any hardship. Is that how you want to stand before the very one who hung on a cross and bled His precious blood for your sins and mine? Paul and Peter and James and John and all, they got it right. They got it right. Because I believe with every strike of that rod, they saw Jesus on that cross. And every time they felt the pain pierce through their bodies, they heard him scream from that cross, My God, my God, why is thou forsaken? Listen, they counted it a joy to stand in camaraderie with the very Savior who suffered and died for them. And I encourage you brothers and sisters stand firm in the word of God. Be true to the calling that God has placed on your life individually. Be true to the call that God has placed on you to be a Christian family. Be true to the call that God has placed on us as a church. Let's be who we are called to be. Let's pattern ourselves not after some tv program not after the world's version of what the church ought to be let's pattern ourselves after the way god intended it to be and let's be the people of god and let the world react as they may react because it doesn't matter because the only one that we're out to please is the one who died for our sins jesus christ our lord and savior